so many things where I was so certain and so cocky and so sure of myself. And then just like thing after thing as I get older, realizing like I was so wrong and I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, so it's it just becomes harder and harder to, to think like, oh, I'm really certain about all these things and that I have all the right answers. So it's just like all these things together, I think, gave me some space to, to think about it in a different way. Think about it. So certain. Think about it. So cocky. Think about it. What are the forces in the universe that brought us together at this point in time, <laughs> right here and right now, Michael? I was already kind of interested in this free will question. I had listened to your episode and I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, they're going to, you know, tackle it from the, the LDS point of view. You know, did we? I don't I don't remember if we did it from an LDS point of view. You didn't at all. That's what I was okay. expecting. I clicked on it and then I listened and, you know, I, I kind of have this obsessive personality. I was listening and I was thinking about all the things, you yeah, know, you that, wrote me a book, man. That email was long. I did. I, I was just, you know, going through it and, and thinking about the arguments you guys made and some responses. It just wasn't very, it, it wasn't very satisfactory to you, was it, Michael? There were just things that I said that you're like, eh, no, I got to straighten that guy out. <laughs> there, there is some of that, you know, it's like, I have, yeah. I have a hard time, you know, people, I, I can't go on Facebook anymore because I'll just get sucked into arguments. I really hope, Michael, that the days of arguing over the supremacy of ideas is over for me. It's not like, here is the truth about free will or whatever it is, and I know it and you don't. But it, it's like, I'm trying to figure this stuff out, and here's what I think. And I'm really interested to know what you're seeing and why you're seeing it that way. And just to have a conversation about it that isn't like a battle over the supremacy of ideas. I think that's the best way that I can say it. I, I love that perspective. You know, I'm trying to, to be more like that myself, you know, because I feel like the church really drilled into into me this this black and white, right and wrong. We have the truth. We have, you know, the absolute monopoly on you know, on all this stuff. And and so my, my brain still goes there. You know, we, you know, you spend all this time thinking that you have the right answers and you, you're told that you have to go out and evangelize and tell everyone else or, or else their, their eternal soul is at stake. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 749 Free Will Revisited, a discussion on certainty, black and white thinking, and the interconnectedness of all things. And today I'm joined by Michael, a relatively new listener of Infants on Thrones, who had some things that he wanted to process in response to the Free Will episodes 724 and 725 
that I recorded and published last April, about the same time, incidentally, that Michael was deciding to leave the Mormon church. Or about the same time that that decision was being made for Michael by pre-existing natural causes that he is absolutely not responsible for. Maybe? Maybe not? Who can know for sure, right? And that's really part of the underlying subtext of today's conversation, where Michael is attempting to better understand his relationship with certainty and black and white thinking a few months after his decision to leave the Mormon church. So how do you feel about certainty now? Um, well, I mean, I don't have it <laughs> for, yeah. for anything, really, and that makes me really uncomfortable. You know, I, I yeah. really, I really like having the answers. I really like being certain. I really like, I really like the church telling me like, this is, this is what's true. I really like knowing what's going to happen when we die. I know exactly what happened before we came here. I know what my purpose is to wipe all that off the board and to not know anything for sure. It's really uncomfortable. I don't, mm. don't enjoy it. Now, don't worry. Michael admitted that he was being hyperbolic there. There are actually things that he knows for sure. But what about this Mormon idea of free agency, of being free to choose, of having the ability to choose something that is free and independent from any and all prior causes? So let me ask you this, dear listener. What do you think about this? When it comes to freedom of will or freedom of choice, how much influence do you have over the choices that you make in your own life? Do you feel like you're more like a leaf being blown around by wind without any real control over how you respond to that wind? Or do you feel like you're steering a sailboat, making small incremental choices that determine how the wind will move you? And what are some of the prior causes that would make you lean more towards the leaf metaphor rather than the steering the ship metaphor? What, one of the big questions that I have is, why is this so important to you? And I think I heard a little bit of that when you said, I used to believe that I was the captain of the ship when I was Mormon, but yeah. now I realize that all of Mormonism is bullshit. And so this is going down with the ship. <laughs> um, I can't allow myself to believe that anymore because then I might get sucked into like foolishness or something like that again. But that, that's one question. I'll let you respond to that in a second. But the second one is, how is what you're saying anything other than predeterminism that we just don't have any choice at all. We are just like a leaf that falls off of a tree and we're subject to the whims of everything that's going on around us. And we don't have, we, we, we aren't responsible for where we land or how we move or what we do, because that is so contrary to the way that every single person lives life and experiences life. So in a nutshell, that is today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you would like to have a similar conversation with me, please reach out at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, hang on to your glasses, because this here's And now the recording is in progress. You just heard that. Perfect. So, Michael, thanks for reaching out. We're just getting to know each other here on this call. T tell me a little bit about what what are the forces in the universe that brought us together at this point in time, right here and right now, Michael? Well, I mean, a couple that are obvious is that my mom listens to your podcast. Yeah. And so she, she told me to listen. And before that though, I was already kind of interested in this free will question. I had listened to a couple of, of YouTube 
you know, seminar things that Sam Harris had done and some debates that he had done with other people. I think I listened to a conversation. Oh, like the Jordan Peterson? No. Oh, I guess they didn't really talk about free will, did they? They were talking yeah. about other things. They were talking about truth. I'm trying to remember who, I, I know he did one with Daniel Dennett, who's kind of like the big compatibilist. They had a long conversation. I listened to that one. Right. I, I read his book and I actually listened to the podcast that he did that you guys were were referencing and critiquing on the, uh, on the episode you did. So I saw, yeah your episode and I was like oh this is interesting you know they're gonna you know tackle it from the the LDS point of view you know because agency is such a huge part of the church and and the doctrine so I, you know jumped right did in we? I don't I don't remember if we did it from an LDS point of view you didn't at all that's what I was okay. expecting but that <laughs> but that's uh you know that was I, I clicked on it and then I listened and you know I, I kind of have this obsessive personality. I was listening and I was thinking about all the things, you know, that yeah, you wrote me a book, man. That email was long. I did. I, I was just, you know, going through it and, and thinking about the arguments <laughs> you guys made and some responses. And then I was just kind of working through it in my head and I wrote it all out and I said, well, you know, I might as well send it. And it just wasn't very, it, it wasn't very satisfactory to you. Was it Michael? There were just things that I said that you're like, eh, no, I got to straighten that guy out. <laughs> there, there's some of that, you know, it's like, I have, yeah. I have a hard time, you know, people, I, I can't go on Facebook anymore because I'll just get sucked into arguments and right yeah well I yeah. could I could sense the same frustration that you had with Sam Harris you know it's like you were bristling at, at some of the stuff that he said <laughs> and so yeah well and I I think I said this in in that episode I, I hope I did I you know like I I really hope Michael that the days of arguing over the supremacy of ideas is over for me you know that I it's not like I think here is the truth about free will or whatever it is. Yeah. And I know it and you don't, or, but it, it's like, I'm trying to figure this stuff out and here's what I think. What do you think? And like, I'll compare with you what I see and I'll explain to you why I see it that way. And I'm really interested to know what you're seeing and why you're seeing it that way. And just to have a conversation about it that isn't like a, like an argument or you know, like, like a battle over the supremacy of ideas. I think that's the best way that I can say it. So I, I, I know I definitely, as I, and it's been probably six months or more since I did that episode. And my, my thoughts have shifted since then, because that was part of my process of trying to figure out what I really even thought of it. And one of the biggest issues I remember having with that is I didn't know what he meant by free will. Like, what is he saying? What is, what is he arguing doesn't exist? I still didn't quite understand that point. But anyway, so I'm really happy to get your email. I'm happy to have this conversation with you now. I look forward to where it's going. And, and before we really get into the free will part, I'd like to know more about your background because you told me in the email about your mom listening to the podcast and, um, that you're recently out of the church, like fairly recent. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that and, and, and you so that I know as you're bringing your views to the table on this, kind of where, where those views have been shaped a bit. Sure. Um, uh, first, let me just respond to what, the, what you said. I mean, I think I, I love that perspective. You know, I'm trying to, to be more like that myself, you know, because I feel like the church really drilled into, into me this this black and white, right and wrong. We have the truth. Yeah. We have, yeah. you know, the absolute monopoly on, you know, on all this stuff. And, and so my, my brain still goes there. You know, we, yeah. you know, you spend all this time thinking that you have the right answers and you, you're 
told that you have to go out and evangelize and tell everyone else or, or else their, their eternal soul is at stake. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I like that approach. I, I, cause I, you know, really, we don't, it's hard to know this stuff, you know? And so it's, it's fun to just talk about ideas and, and instead of starting at the answer and, and trying to make things fit, just kind of looking at everything and, and assessing. yeah. Or thinking that somebody is fundamentally flawed because they haven't come to the same conclusion that I have, you know, like yeah. when, when I really stop and think about it, every experience that, that I've had in my life, my schooling, relationships that I've had with people, conversations, nobody has that same mix. Yeah. Nobody does. And so how could I expect that? And, and even if I had like some evil twin that was with me all of the time, they probably would still interpret things differently than I did, even if they had every single experience that I've had. Yeah. So there's just so, so many different views out there to, to think that yeah, I've got it figured out. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to go back to that black and white more informed. Yeah. View. I mean, so, so my background, I'm, I'm 35. I, I was raised in the church. My grandparents, my mom's side were converts. My grandparents and my dad's side were, were not, I, it goes a little bit farther back on that side. My parents met on their mission. My mm. mom is from Denmark. Um, so I, I was raised there partly. They, they all live there now. Um, I grew up mostly in California. I mean, but just the church has been the center of where, whereabouts in Denmark, um, right outside of Copenhagen. Okay. I, I, I used to work for a company that has a manufacturing facility about 45 minutes North of Copenhagen. Oh, fun. So I've been there a few times and loved it. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I was, how much time did you spend growing up there? Um, we moved there when I was about seven and then moved back to the States when I was about 12. And then I moved back mm -hmm. there when I was, you know, like 18, 19 right before my mission. And at that point, my mom and my brother had moved back there. And, and so they, they all mm -hmm. still lived there. And then I went on a mission and then came back and then was there for a little bit and then have come back to the States yeah. ever since. Okay. So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, you know, but always been, you know, deep into the church, always believed it, always, you know, very faithful and very... Did your mom leave before you did? Yeah, she's been out for a while. Yeah. What did you, what did you think when she first started she, uh, straying? She didn't even really tell us, you know, until she wasn't very mm -hmm. vocal until a couple of years ago. But, you know, I learned now that she's, she's kind of been out for, you know, maybe eight or nine years. Um, and she kept a lot of that inside and been very frustrating for her at least that's what I make mm. up you know she, I think she's felt very isolated um but it was really hard and then I've had mission companions that have left and each time you know or, or just close friends or, or other family members and each time someone leaves it's you know it's it's a strike at at my identity you know it's like this mm. is the thing that I've built my life around and you're telling me it's wrong you're telling me that mm. that it's not true you know that that you think it's toxic or whatever and so it's, you know, it's a challenging thing because you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, what, what, what is, what was it that uh, broke the shelf for you? Um, it's hard for me to, to zero in on one specific thing. I mean, but yeah. it, it kind of, I think it's been percolating for a couple of years for me. And then with COVID, we stopped going to church and felt awesome about that. You know, it was mm. so nice to, to be home. Um, funny enough, the Trump stuff and the COVID stuff was a huge 
kind of eye-opener for me, something that helped me get some distance to start thinking about the church in a more, you know, critical, objective way, you know, because the, the church is so tied into the, the right-wing politics in America. Mm-hmm. It was just baffling to me that, that people who espouse Christian values could support Trump in the way that he did. You know, it was, it was really... It was really hard for me to see people that I grew up respecting so much, you know, leaders um, that were were now supporting this guy that I that I felt to be immoral and incompetent. Yeah. And then, you know, some at some point, you know, in during the COVID year, I read I read a couple books. I read a book called Zealot that that also yeah. you know kind of opened my eyes. I was reading the the whole time and, and just kind of learning a lot and thinking a lot and and, and it's like none of the stuff that that they teach you at church lines up with kind of what we know historically about the Bible and about yeah. Jesus as a person. So Zealot, Zealot is about like the historical Jesus, right? Yeah. I think I've read that book. It's been a while. Um, yeah, it's about... What, what, what were your main takeaways from that book? Um, just, you know, one of the big things was how how we use the the scriptures in, in the LDS church just there doesn't there isn't a strong basis for it the the scriptural literalism you know learning that that mark was written so long afterwards and that the other gospels were written even longer after that and a lot of this stuff is is kind of myth making and and you know really cultural at the time you know 100 years after you know whoever it was and and, and there's just all these little you know facts that he kind of picks apart, you know, he looks at, okay, this meeting with Pilate probably didn't happen. It's very unlikely that it happened given what we know about the history of the time, the Romans kept such good records. And so these are all the things that probably aren't, you know, right as well. I mean, so there's, there's just a lot of things that, I mean, the main takeaway was the conception that I've had of Jesus and of the gospels and of their accuracy doesn't seem to match. All right. So that that sent you uh, tumbling down the the rabbit hole. Huh? Well, well, so so that kind of I mean, so a lot of the all these things separately kind of gave me space, and then I I think maybe what really pushed me over the edge was the Natasha Helfer Parker stuff. When when she was going through her process, I, I listened I think to you know I don't know five or six hours of of conversations that she did on on the Mormon Stories podcast about her excommunication experience, and I found it extremely upsetting and you know it just you know I recognized a lot of what she had what she was talking about as far as what the church teaches about sexuality and just seeing how she was treated and and how the church approaches that stuff I think you know that was that was kind of the thing that maybe tipped me over the edge and then that gave me enough mental space to start looking at all these things that I had looked at before, but had never really given a fair shake, you know, stuff like the CES letter, stuff like, yeah. you know, letter to my wife or, or just really any of the event, anything that you might find on Mormon think or all that kind of stuff. So, so it sounds like it was really the culture of, of church members, um, which includes things like politics, the, the way that they were, were treating people like Natasha um, and others that you saw and you just went, now nah, this isn't, this isn't right. You, this doesn't, it, at least it didn't mesh with what you felt was right. Yeah. I mean, I, the way I would put it, because it's, it really is important to me whether it's true or not, you know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. be, and I, and the, 
my own values, I feel like had been in conflict with the church for some, some time, you know, especially with mm. LGBTQ stuff, but I had always kind of come back to, well, it's true, you know, so I got to figure out some way to make this work, you know, like, okay, polygamy and, and all these things that Joseph Smith did, I'm really uncomfortable with a lot of this, but it's true. So I need, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And and all that, but these these kind of these things that I've described, I think, finally gave me enough mental separation to where I could look honestly at those issues and assess the evidence for a lot of that stuff in a way that I hadn't before. And so, yeah, I was able to kind of go down the rabbit hole and and kind of look at all the the data in, in a new way, which then helped me, I think, to to disconnect and see, okay, it's not yeah. really true, and also this stuff doesn't line up with with my values. How, how long do you think, you know, you, you said that you were struggling with some things for a while and you just kind of like set them aside, um, like polygamy. How, how long do you think you were struggling with those things before you finally felt comfortable? Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really honestly explore this. I mean, those things have bothered me my entire life, you know, but it's like you yeah. just can't, you can't touch it. I mean, it's like blacks in the priesthood, polygamy, you know, a lot of this culturally toxic stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, you know that it's wrong, even if you can't do anything about it, or, or even if you're, if, if you're not at the point where you can say, well, this is not right, or this is not true. You know, so I, I'd always made the argument, you know, it's like, you can, you can go down any number of rationalizations why you got to stay in or why it's not so bad or why, Oh, you know, it's, it was a different time, you know, mm. speaking as a man, not as prophet, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know the, the, I became very aware too just of my own biases and kind of digging into more, more stuff and understanding confirmation bias and, and a yeah. few of these others that, that kind of play into it. I, I forget what they're all called, but you know, like the, the idea that you hear something, more you hear something, the more likely you are to believe it's true. Yeah. Um, the more people believe things around you, the more likely you are to accept something. I mean, there's, there's just a couple of things that really kind of clicked for me. And I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm probably, you know, haven't been seeing things too clearly which is hard okay. I here and here this is last thing. I mean, getting older too, yeah. I realize more and more how wrong I am about so much stuff. Yeah. So, so many things where I was so certain and so cocky and so sure of myself. And then just like yeah. thing after thing, as I get older, realizing like I was so wrong and I didn't know what I was <laughs> talking about, you know? So it's, it just becomes harder and harder to, to think like, Oh, I'm really certain about all these things and that I have all the right answers. So it's just like all these things together, I think gave me some space to, to think about it in a different yeah. way. So how do you feel about certainty now? Um, well, I mean, I don't have it <laughs> for, yeah. for anything really. And that makes me really uncomfortable. You know, I, I yeah. really, I really <laughs> like having the answers. I really like being certain. I really like, I really like the church telling me like, this is, this is what's true. I really like knowing what's going to happen when we die. I know exactly what happened before we came here. I know what my purpose is to wipe all that mm -hmm. off the board and to not know anything for sure. It's really uncomfortable. I don't, mm. don't enjoy it. Is it, is it that you don't know anything for sure? No. Like, I mean, are there, are there things that you know for sure? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm, I was being a little, <laughs> I know. A little hyperbolic. <laughs> yeah, hyperbolic. We all do. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the things that you know for sure? Um, I mean, 
I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's even there's even stuff in the scientific world where we think we know for sure that you know you accept <laughs> as a certainty something like gravity, but even something like gravity, we don't perfectly understand, and our understanding has has shifted about what that is. I mean, so I I want to say like I'm sure that I exist. I'm sure that, yeah. that I love my wife and my son. I'm sure that I love my family. Yeah. You know, I'm well, sure. good. That's where I was going to steer you okay. went right there, right on. <laughs> so there, so there are certain things in your life. And, and the reason I, I asked that, I think it's, it's a really valuable exercise to kind of like dial down in concentric circles. Like, okay, yeah. there's these big things about the universe or God or the meaning of life. Like, I don't really know, but you bring it in closer. Okay. I, I know I'm breathing right now. I know I'm alive. I know I've got enough food in the refrigerator. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I know I'm, I've got a job or maybe I know that I don't have a job, you know, whichever your situation you're in. Yeah. Um, I know I've got a wife. I know we've got my son and yeah, things like that To, But, but I think to your point, um, it, it's not that Mormonism ignores those things, but it, it stitches it all together into this much larger narrative that once some of those things fall apart then kind of everything's almost up for grabs is that how you feel um in a way i mean a lot has felt up for grabs i mean there's a lot of things that that don't feel like they're really changing at all you know like i feel like a lot of my my values and and some of my beliefs you know are, are pretty stable you know it's like i, I believe yeah. love is important and kindness is important and that mm -hmm. we should help each other and treat people treat each other well and you know i i believe in integrity i believe that that truth matters those kind of i mean so there's a lot of things that that don't change but there's so much other stuff you know so it's like is there a god is there not a god you know like what's the nature yeah. of reality you know what's what's the point is there a point do i matter maybe not does life matter? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you you matter to that son of yours. Yeah, and I, hopefully to your wife as well. <laughs> I hope so to to both. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, is there anything that you want to get out of the way before we launch into the free will stuff? Um, I don't know if we need to spend a lot of time, but I I've been listening to some of your other episodes, and I, I guess I'll just say that I I I was listening to the Mormon on mushrooms episode that you have. And I think I wrote this in, in the little note, but I, this is, this has been another part of my journey, just like the plant medicine, psychedelics, that kind of stuff. That's mm. been a, a real area of interest. And it, it seems like it, it has for you as well. Um, yeah. So we don't have to go into that, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. If it, It's something that, that you have experience with or just interest in um, experience with and okay. interest. And is that like recently within the kind of COVID time, is it all kind of, part and parcel uh the experience with the psychedelics showing you another way of viewing things so funny enough i was starting down that journey even before i was had an inkling that i was going to leave the church you know i really? i had um psilocybin or mushrooms in particular i feel like aren't even maybe that out of harmony with the church's teachings except for the legality of them i mean so this is a whole other tangent but so i i I, I was going on a, a trip and, and I checked out a Michael Pollan book. The, yeah. This is, what, what's it called? Uh, Changing Your Mind. How to Change Your How Mind. How to Change Your Mind. Yeah. I, I borrowed it from the, the digital library. I thought it was about something completely different. And then it just completely blew my mind and kind of sent me down a yeah. rabbit hole. But I, you know, even as a true believing member, I didn't feel like that was uh, 
a real violation. You know, it's, it's not addictive. It's, it's not harmful. It's actually something that can be very therapeutic and, and very helpful. It helps people yeah. connect to spirituality and the God, you know, so I, I kind of had a lot of stories that I told myself, even while I was, was still, was still fully in um, and, and experimented and had experiences with it even at that point. That's really interesting. So, you know, I, I, I kind of dabbled with, mushrooms before I did an ayahuasca ceremony. And I, I like, I feel like doing an ayahuasca ceremony with a shaman and a group of people in a more structured ritualistic setting is a lot different experience than just doing some mushrooms and listening to music on my bed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I, I felt like that ayahuasca experience was the closest thing to really being in the celestial room of the temple if that was actually a thing yeah. that I had ever experienced before. And what, what, but I was, I was out of the church at that point. So I was already, I'd, I'd been doing infants on thrones and just podcasting in this world for years before uh, I had any of those experiences. Yeah. So what, what was it like being in and still believing and, having a, a psilocybin experience did you feel like you were communing with angels spirits god no none of that um i so i did i did kind of a guided trip with with someone um with kind of a, a therapist person with yeah. actually two people who were kind of there throughout the whole experience and did a did a heavy dose uh and i was expecting that i was expecting to have you know the transcendent like yeah. connected to the universe. I love everything. And, and it just, mm -hmm. it didn't quite happen that way. Um, but it was, you know, it was obviously a very meaningful experience. I, I plan to do it again and try, try to, you know, some other things as well. I, ayahuasca is something that's been on my list. I really would like to, to try it. I mean, the, there was, it was, it was really centered around kind of trauma work for me wanting to, mm -hmm to just kind of push through some, some old experiences. I, um, I had a, I don't know if I, I would, I really wanted, like, I really wanted to connect spiritually. I really wanted to have that ego death. I wanted to, to touch yeah. something greater than myself and to feel that I, I did feel, you know, at one point, like, okay, I could die and that would be okay. You know, like, you know, I had kind of a sense of peace with, Mm -hmm. with my own, you know, place in the universe. And, and there were certain points later on in the experience where I felt, uh, where I felt really powerful. I felt, you know, like, I don't know, almost animalistic. This is <laughs> anyway, this is kind of big tangent, but, um, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I think, I think, you know, everyone would, would benefit from, from something like that with the right, the right oversight and intentions obviously know how, mm. how important that is yeah so you desire all to receive it <laughs> absolutely yeah <I> mean, so <laughs> so psilocybin i mean you're you're very con i'm i feel constrained you know by what's available and what you can do without great travel you know but so so far i've tried uh, uh, psilocybin and, and mescaline um from a through a cactus like a san pedro yeah. cactus san pedro yeah. san pedro cactus um you know, and that was completely different, but also, also pretty meaningful, but yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. So, so do, does that lead you to the free will discussion or is it, is it really just a tangent? Uh, it's probably just a tangent, but. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
but I wasn't sure where we'd go, you know, so I thought I'd just throw it out here. Me neither. I just thought, let's, let's get on. Yeah. You, 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 you had so much to say in that email and I don't like reading very much anymore. <laughs> I, I would much rather just get on and have a conversation. So yeah. to, let, let's, let's start walking through. So you, I think that was the very first episode of Infants on Thrones that you listened to. Is that right? Um, yeah, it's the first ones where I listened, I think, all the way through with that little depth. I th- my mom had recommended a couple, you know, with the, the general conference episodes with, with okay. the impressions yeah. and stuff. So I, I dabbled yeah. in a couple of those. But, you know, this okay. was one where, I, you know, it really struck my interest at the time and dove in yeah. head first. And... Yeah. All right. So, so do it. Go. Well, okay. So it, the basic gist of my email to you, I had, I had three main responses, right? You know, yeah. one of the, one of the things that you guys brought up was the, uh, you know, basically is it subconscious you or conscious you dime size me or the whole thing. And, and, yeah. and basically my reaction and it kind of what I wrote in the emails, I, I feel like that's besides the point. I don't think it matters to whether or not we have free will. So, so help me understand, like, what do you see? Like, how do you define free will? What is free will? I mean, yeah, it's probably a better place to start. I mean, Sam Harris, he, he has his two assumptions, right? You know, the idea that you could have chosen otherwise, and then this conscious feeling that you are the, the cause of things that, that you have, yeah. The ability to choose and alter. I mean, what we learn in the church, you're an agent to act for yourself and not to be acted upon. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, the, the first of the first of those two points, if I remember right, he, he's like the, the idea that um, if I could go back in time, I would make a different choice. Yeah. Is just a, a spurious idea, because if you really did go back in time, you would you would be in that moment. You you wouldn't have all of the knowledge that you gained after that experience to inform your decision at the time. You would have only whatever you had at that time, which was used to make that decision and make that choice. So you would make the same choice over and over again because of the deterministic world that we live in. And yeah. it's an output of all of these unconscious processes, these programs that are going on behind the scenes. So you're not free to go back in time and change things from what they were, which to me, like, who thinks that? Who thinks that they could go back? Like, I, I know people, you know, kind of like I said to you earlier, what was it? You said, I'm just being hyperbolic. Yeah. Uh, you know, like people go, oh, if I could do that over again, I would totally do that over again. But does that really mean that they believe in free will or they're just I mean, expressing remorse or a regret? Don't most people think that? Don't mo- I mean, people who maybe don't think about it too deeply, don't they feel like, okay, you know, I could have chosen something different? I, or should have or should is what have. I hear a lot, you know? Yeah. Like, well, why did I marry that person? <laughs> or, 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 you know, we could think about the church. Why didn't I figure this out sooner? Yeah. Or why didn't I, I, I didn't exercise yesterday. I should have, or I did the thing I wasn't yeah. supposed to do. I had that piece of cake and, yeah. and, I, and I shouldn't have, and I could have, it was a lapse in my, my discipline, but you know, I could have yeah. done it. And that's why I'm mad at myself for, for doing it. Yeah. And, the whole, I mean, and he points this out, like, I mean, our whole justice system and, and certainly the, the religious world is based on this idea that you have 
that you could have acted differently because they certainly punish you that way. Huh. I guess. I think they punish it. They punish you based on what you did do, not on like what you could have done differently, right? I don't know. Maybe it's baked into it a little bit. Well, I still just have a hard time seeing this as being a part of the definition of free will. I just don't understand it. Well, so you walk me through your your concept of free will, then. I don't have a concept of free will. I, I guess my if if I have any concept of free will, it's like right in the moment. Um, so it, it doesn't have anything to do with regret or remorse, except that in the moment I'm having these regretful and remorseful feelings and thoughts. So what do I do with them? You know, like I, so I've got a choice. And, and so you made this distinction in your email that Sam Harris isn't saying that you don't have a choice, Yeah, I guess like, and that there is some freedom of choice, but it's not, it's like constrained within certain parameters of what's possible well it's not like any you couldn't choose anything like i can't jump off of a cliff and fly i think was that your example in the email or is that something, um, something else i, I think know. that was something else and you guys talked about this too right the, i mean because we can acknowledge that choices are constrained obviously but i think one yeah. of the points you made in the email or once the points you made in your discussion is okay if i set the table and i have 10 plates maybe it's not a million plates or it's not a hundred plates but it's yeah. 10 plates i still choose between yeah. those 10 plates and yeah. i think his point is you, okay you have the experience of making a choice but the thing the the reason why you're making that choice is flowing from prior causes it's determined yeah. by okay. everything that came before Okay. And, and I think this ties it back to that big circle, little circle thing that you were asking the question about where you thought that it was irrelevant. Yeah. And I, I guess, I, I think my view of that big circle, little circle might have shifted a little bit since then, but I don't know if it shifted a lot because the, the big circle that I'm talking about is the central nervous system. It's the, it, it's the entire mind. It's, it's everything that the brain is doing. Sure. Um, and there's only a small sliver of that that I'm consciously aware of or have any kind of control or influence over, and that's the little circle. And so if there are prior causes that existed before that are part of that big circle unconscious mind that are um, making me feel like I have a choice to pick plate number two out of 10, yeah. and I think I'm, I did that because I'm free. Well, it's actually because in, in the past, uh, you had this experience and your brain's making all of these calculations and it's telling you the, based on our past experience, the safest choice is the second of those 10 plates, not the other one. And I think I'm going, oh, I like the look of it. I like this better. And so I'm choosing it now, but it's really because my inner intelligence, my unconscious intelligence, these prior causes that arise have made that decision for me yeah. and and the me we're talking about is that small conscious me but that bigger part is still me because it's still the it's still based on everything that i've ever experienced in the past totally and so it's not it's not separate from me but it's a different <laughs> it's a different me than the conscious me yeah yeah so yeah this was this was the first thing i was reacting to right so this distinction between little me big me i don't think it matters as far as as far as free will is concerned Right. Because we can acknowledge that it's the bigger you making the decision that, you know, it's the central nervous system has taken in all this, this sensory data and, you know, it's has all its automatic processes. So it's spitting out intentions, feelings, thoughts. And then we're having a conscious yeah. experience where we're, you know, acting on those things 
whether we are kind of aware of it or not. It's yeah. all you, but none of it's free. What does that mean? It's not free. Um, we're not the conscious driver or origin of, of whatever it is we're talking about. So you pick plate number two and right before you picked it, you had, you had a thought, you had an intention, you had a desire, you had a preference, but all of those things kind of just bubbled up from the ether. You didn't decide to have the, you didn't decide to have that preference. You didn't decide to have that thought. You didn't decide to have that, that desire, you know, all of that flows from prior causes. So, so I, I, I totally agree with the statement that the, the small circle conscious part of my mind did not create these circumstances, you know, did, yeah. it's not the cause of, of them, but I don't know why that is tied to the idea of freedom. Well, I mean, so if we're talking freedom, like external coercion or external influences, so no one has a gun to your head, then sure. You know, you have, in that sense, you have the freedom to act whatever your desire is or whatever your intention is, but you don't have the freedom to choose what the intention is or what the desire yeah. is. Those things are coming, you know, naturally from prior causes. And so there isn't a sense of autonomous, independent free will where I am a causal agent, you know, and I, I can choose whatever, whatever I want. I mean, I guess I can choose whatever I want, but I can't choose what I want. What I want comes naturally. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I'm thinking back to our earlier conversation about your experience leaving the church. Sure. And you went through a long period of time where there were things that bothered you, but you chose not to pursue that because you chose to stay in the church and believe that it's true. But maybe you would um, not look at that as a choice. I, I guess that's my question. Do, do you see that what you were doing during that time was making a conscious choice to keep your faith, even though there was all this pressure that was building this dissonance that was building that you were choosing to not release that pressure to bottle it up. And that the choices that you made then impacted more of those prior causes that were coming up. And there was this interplay between the two. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I mean, it, I guess it applies generally to anything. I mean, what, what does it mean to say that we choose something? You know, I, I, I think that I was, you know, those choices were a product of everything that came before, you know, if you, yeah. if you believe that there's cause and effect in the universe, if you believe that things aren't just going to, to come from, from nothing, then whatever a choice I make in an individual slice of time right. is determined by everything that came before it. Right. So, so I guess if we're talking about slices of time that there might, might be helpful to think about three, just large, the past, the present and the future. And, and the present is always just like this moment to moment thing yeah. that we're constantly in. And the past doesn't really exist because well, it's neither does the future. What right? came before, and the future doesn't really exist, right? Yeah. The only thing that really exists is this moment that we're in right now, and the the things that we're 
uh, th these, these prior causes that are influencing us are things that came about from previous prior moments yeah. that we call the, the past. And so you're saying we're not free to just change the past. The past is what it is, everything that's in that moment. So if we're thinking about you in your process of, of leaving the church, can you think of a time when someone like one of these missionary companions left the church and said, hey, Michael, you should really read this book. And you made the decision, no, I'm not going to. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of moments like that, you know, and, and, and usually it's. And it, is that is that a choice? I don't I, I don't think it is in the, in the sense that we're thinking of where it's a free, autonomous, independent choice. I mean, I, you know, just for ease of reference, I mean, me, this mm. chunk of meat here and, and my experience, I I did make a choice. But that choice was informed and flowed from everything that came before, you know. So I, I, I would choose to read something like the CES letter, and then I'd go through it, and all the thoughts I'm having about it, where I'm, the ways that I'm discounting it, the ways that I'm rationalizing it. I mean, yeah, all of that's, you know, bubbling up from the ether. It's you know, I, I'm not. I can't choose to think about it in a, in a different way. Those thoughts, those feelings, those intentions, those reactions, and ultimately, you know, the the actual decisions that I make, all of that is is being informed by what came before. I liked that you said, um, what was it? Free, autonomous, independent. Yeah. You're like, I, it's not a free autonomy because the choice, because it is a choice. You did make a choice, but that choice is being informed by stuff that was already there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's a choice that you're making. It's not a free choice that is, is free, autonomous, independent from those prior causes. Right. It's a result of them. I, I heard, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was within the last day or two. Um, oh yeah. It was a, there, there's a, a Stanford professor named Fred Laskin who did studies on forgiveness and I was listening to uh, an interview that was done with him. And he was talking about that, that um, a lot of the trauma that people carry that can be relieved by forgiving either yourself or other people is when you have an expectation that something is supposed to be one way, but then reality is a different way. And then there's this dissonance in between that you don't know what to do with. And forgiveness is a way of just relieving that pressure and kind of accepting what is instead of like holding yourself to this impossible standard. What, what, what we came to see after looking at all the myriad of people who have gone through our trainings was they were, they were all upset because something in life didn't work out the way they thought it should or it didn't accord to the picture they had of what they wanted their life to look at. And they couldn't forgive the fact that the picture of reality was different than the picture that they had in their head of how it should be. And it all came out to, you want one thing, you got another. You make peace with no. Take the offense less personally. So instead of like personalizing it, it, it was there to harm me, and they did it to harm me, to depersonalize some of it, to um, take responsibility then for my reaction to the hurt, which is 
to calm down, change my story, like stop blaming so much, and to create a better story around what happened that wasn't so crippling to my well-being. And he said, so if, if you're, if, if you've had an experience in the past or even recently where somebody's really hurt you, you could be in that moment thinking, man, that person hurt me and it's horrible. And you're thinking that those are your thoughts. He goes, but you could also think right now I've got a refrigerator full of food. I've got a roof over my head. Um, I'm safe. I'm happy. And somebody recently hurt me and it hurt real bad, <laughs> you know, so you're not ignoring that. You're not discounting that, but you're also including all of these other things because that's, that's more true to the, your real lived experience than just being hyper-focused on this one negative thing that then blows it out of proportion. So I listened to him talk about that. And it sure sounds to me like what he's saying is in that moment, you have a choice on what you're going to focus your attention on. And it, and it's not, a free choice in the sense that you could focus your attention on something that has never even entered your consciousness, that it's constrained by all of the prior causes. It's constrained by the reality that's around you, but there, there is some kind of mechanism that he's talking about that allows a person to go, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to change this, the way that I'm telling the story. And then that's going to impact the way that I feel about it. Um, so what, I guess my question would be, do, do you, do you agree that that's something that people have and can do? And is that agency or choice or like, what, what is that? Yeah. So, so first answer, yes, I, I obviously people do that. Um, and, but I don't think it's an example of agency and, and I've wrestled with this a lot too. I mean, so I, I don't know if you've read seven habits of highly, you know, people. people, or I guess even the Victor yeah. Frankel, uh, man search for happiness it's, it's been a while yeah and so none of that's important to the quote i mean but he basically one of the famous parts of that is you know between stimulus and response there's a space where yeah. you can make it i mean and that's a little bit kind of sounds like what he's saying he's like okay between stimulus and response there's an opportunity to, to put something in between that might change what the response is and so that is highly suggestive that okay we're not just these automatons where, you know, you right. have these prior causes that spits out an automatic answer, but there's a space in between where we as causal agents can, can take that and do something different with them. And, and kind of what I've come to think about that is, is that really what's happening in the space isn't free will. It's just other causes that are part of the, the original mix, you know, so someone, I mean, so the, the example of forgiving someone, right? I mean, so, okay, someone is really mean to you and you have all these angry feelings, but then you remember, okay, I, I, I have all these other good things in my life, right? And, and so that allows you to, to think about it differently. I mean, so I don't think that's an example of free will of, of someone, you know, making a, a conscious decision to steer the ship. I think those are just all causes. Those are all competing stimuli that spit out the final spit out the final answer hmm. i like that you said steer the ship let, let me say it a different way i mean so i i think a lot of this comes from an imperfect understanding of what the what the underlying causes are i i think it's a little bit like 
God of the gaps almost. It's like free will of the gaps, you know? So it's like, we have such a limited understanding of what drives our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And we have this conscious experience of making choices and being free. Um, so when things happen and when we make a decision and we, we don't see all the underlying causes, we, we kind of insert ourselves as the explanation. We say, okay, well, that's me. I did that. But if we had a perfect understanding of everything that was feeding into that decision, maybe we wouldn't have that confusion. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a metaphor right now, Michael, and this isn't very well thought out or developed. So I'm just going to throw it out here and tell me what you think about this. Okay. So <laughs> you, you talked about steering the ship and that's kind of what triggered this. Um, you got somebody that's on a sailboat and they've got this, the, their sail up, the wind is what's moving the boat uh, along. And maybe it's going at 40 knots or who I, I'm not a nautical person. I don't know how fast that is. <laughs> I'm just throwing out words they're not really moving at all. They're standing still, even though they're traveling at 40 miles an hour, whatever, whatever that would be. The wind is doing the work. And if, if, if the wind blows harder, then they go faster. If the wind lets up, they're not going as, as fast. If there's a storm, that's going to impact it. The waves are going to impact it. The only thing the person on the boat really can do, um, aside from put the sail up or down or move, move it, is kind of steer. Mm -hmm like, like move. And, and even then there's some kind of constraints. You, you can't just like stop on a dime and do a, you know, 180 degree turn and go, you know, like there's certain natural um, constraints on the freedom that somebody has to steer that ship. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that as a metaphor for what we're talking about, that there are unconscious thoughts, these prior causes, um, the environment that we're in, all of these things that are kind of moving us forward. We have the illusion of movement, even though we're, we're really not moving, we're just kind of responding yeah. to what is coming and showing up, but we can steer it in one direction or another. And then that, that is going to have some impact on what goes on. Cause you could steer yourself into a cliff or something. Yeah. I, I think the example begs the question a little bit because we have, you know, the, uh, the autonomous agent built into the example. I mean, as, as an alternative, what if we were thinking of like a leaf on a tree and yeah. it's now fall. And so that leaf, you know, comes off the branch and it starts drifting down towards the ground. And then suddenly yeah. it starts moving up. It doesn't go to the ground, but it starts picking itself up and going, well, because the wind is blowing, the leaf isn't lifting itself up. Or you're saying that the leaf has like some well, exactly, right? Superpower? I, no, what no, are you saying? I, exactly that. I'm saying, in this case, you know, you have an understanding of the causes, right? You know that it's not the li the leaf lifting itself up. You know, it's a, another factor, the wind. Yeah. You know, but so we would have every expectation that if it was completely still, you know, based on the laws of cause and effect, the leaf falls off the branch, it's going to hit the ground. But now a yeah. new variable has been introduced if you don't know what wind is and you're just watching yeah. the leaf and then suddenly right. you see the leaf move, it would be natural to assume, okay, well, the leaf is flying it's and, and it's, it's moving itself. And so right. I, I think that's, that's kind of the same mistake we make with, with the person in the boat. You know, we say, okay, well, so we know the wind and we know the water and we know that sails do this. And then this, this thing is moving and we don't understand how that works. And so we say, well, he's doing it himself. But even if you, keep going into what 
where do the thoughts come from? Where do the feelings come from? Where do the intentions come from? We really don't understand. They, they come from some other unconscious thing that we don't see and that we can't explain. For sure. Yeah. I, and, and the only question really that I have for you in, in those two metaphors, what, what does it feel more like to you in the way that you live your life? Do, do you feel like a leaf that is falling off of a tree that you're just kind of subject to what's going on around you? Or do you feel like you're on a boat and you can steer at least a little bit and make some changes that have some impact on your life? Well, my whole life, I've felt like I'm on the boat and I'm in charge. I'm the captain of the ship and I'm, I'm making all the moves. And, and I think that's part of why this topic makes me a little uncomfortable because it's, mm. it's counterintuitive to what I've been taught my whole life. But um, another thing I mentioned in the email, and I think this is something you've experienced with too, is like, I've, I've been, I've been into meditation now for, for several years and, and practice, you know, pretty consistently. And the more I do that, the more it challenges this, this idea that I am steering the ship, you know, and anyone who's spent significant time meditating has the experience of sitting and their mind just basically going off the rails and doing its own thing. You're, you're trying to focus on the breath. You're trying to keep your attention on one thing and the mind will just keep coming in with thoughts over and over again. And, and I'm not consciously trying to have thoughts. I'm not trying to think about this. I'm not trying to think about that. I'm trying to focus on my breath and the mind has a mind of its own, you know, and, and same thing sometimes with, with feelings, sometimes with the things that I want, I, you know, I really more and more as I think about this experience, and this is a little bit what Sam Harris talks about. He's like, you know, the, the illusion of free will is itself an illusion that if we really get down to the nuts and bolts of what we actually experience, I mean, I guess, I guess you tell me, I mean, the, do you, do you have this experience of not knowing where your thoughts come from, not knowing where your feelings are coming from, feeling like they just arise? Yeah. But, but, but in, in, in the analogy, that's like the wind, like, I don't know where the wind is coming from. I, and, and even if I feel like I'm the captain of the ship, I don't feel like I'm the one that's creating the wind and I'm the one that's creating the, the waves and the water. And I'm the one that's built the thing, you know, like there, there's only a little bit that I'm actually doing. So I, I certainly have that experience that you described with meditation where I'm aware of my thoughts that are just rising up almost, you know, like I don't know where they're coming from. Um, but I, I do know that once I become aware of them, I can do something with them. And, but so why, why do you do something with them? Why do I do something with them? Yeah. Why, why do you, why do you do something rather than nothing? You know, a thought occurs and, and you decide to move. I mean, well, so, so if, if um, uh, Cammy and I get in, get into an argument or, or something like really silly where um, she'll ask me if I wiped out the microwave after I heated up my, curry from Trader Joe's and I feel myself starting to get upset like how dare you even ask me yeah. that question of course I'm going to clean up after myself I, I I know from myself in the past there there would have been times where I would have said something really sarcastic something really biting something mean as a, as a reaction to that because I was upset that she was even questioning whether I was going to clean that up or not and I I don't know if I understand exactly where that reaction comes from or why I would get upset with something like that. I think I know I've got some stories around it, whether those stories are true or not. I don't know. Yeah. 
think it has to do with my relationship with my dad when I was a kid, but who knows? But I, what I do know is in that moment, I don't want to do anything to hurt her. I don't, I don't want to say that sarcastic biting thing. Although I know I'm really fucking good at it. Yeah. I could rip somebody to shreds if I wanted to. And I don't. And so why, why do I want to exercise some control over that for harmony in the relationship, for harmony in the environment that I'm in? Um, where if I, if I hadn't become aware of those things, or if I thought that I was just a leaf on the tree and I'm feeling this frustration right now, so just let it out. That's the natural thing to do. I wouldn't be living here right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, so, I mean, it, it, I feel like when you drive down, like, okay, so you have, you have the, your wife asking about the microwave and you have the initial response, the anger, and then you have a different response, the restraint. But in both cases, it's not something that you control. You know, both of those things are coming from prior experiences. You could probably tell a story about both as far as. Oh, what yeah. Oh, I remember we did have this, this back and forth in the email a little bit because I told you about Dr. Jerome. Right. Did, did you listen to that one? The calm is contagious. And so is everything else. No, I, I didn't listen to the episode. Yet. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he gives this example of, um, being triggered by his wife, his wife went and screamed because she saw a cockroach right. in the pantry. And he associates that with the time that his dad had a heart attack and his mom did CPR and broke his rib. And then he died and the mom screamed. And now he just, you know, he had that fight or flight amygdala yeah. response that th those were the prior causes that arose without his conscious will or intention making them happen. Yeah. So when she gave that scream, I immediately went into that space, primal trigger. So in that space, am I responsible for my feeling of panic? Is she responsible for what she thinks when she sees a cockroach? Absolutely not. Now, as soon as she becomes aware that the scream that she's just offered has put me into one of the quintessentially most traumatic places that I've ever encountered, is she responsible for how she handles her emotion, what she says and thinks next, and how she engages with me in terms of what she feels is appropriate based on her felt sense of safety? Absolutely, she's become aware and she's deciding how to engage, right? And then am I responsible for being triggered and being taken back to what my body's protocol was hearing that scream, thinking I've got to protect her, I need to protect myself, something's wrong? No, that's a survival strategy. But am I responsible for collecting my thoughts and my emotions and reining in my reaction as quickly as possible so that in my fight or flight response and in my sympathetic response and in my sympathetic storm, I don't respond as if my life is in danger or someone else's life is in danger, which my reaction in that space is to get angry because it's so intense, right? So I think what we're talking about is, am I responsible for the base nature of how thoughts and emotions are created? No. Am I responsible for the environment that produced that thought in terms of what nurtured it? No. Am I responsible for the discipline-based conditioning that I grew up in that I was not yet an authority figure in and I didn't have a seat at the executive table to make a decision about what that looks like and how to respond and what we qualify as appropriate? No. But once I developed conscientiousness and competence and consciousness, and I started to move into the driver's seat, am I responsible for how I choose to respond once I understand that I'm reacting? 100% that's on me. Yeah. So I think 
space. I think it's a transitional space, but initially, no, it actually takes a lot of development to get to the point that you can even be aware of what your thoughts, emotions, and actions are, never mind be responsible for them. But, but as soon as he became aware of that, um, and he knew not to take it out on his wife, not he, he, he knew there, okay, there are things that I can do right now. I can stop. I can take a breath. I can give myself a timeout. I can calm myself down because th this is my autonomous. Is that the right word? Autonomic nervous system. Nervous, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Autonomic nervous system that's, that's doing this. And so I, I am going to step in right now, this conscious agent, little circle, whatever you want to call it, if you think it's there or not yeah. and say, I am going to make the choice now to do this. Yeah. And, and so I think that's, I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. I don't think that's a way of, I don't think that's an example of free will. I think that's an example of expanded awareness, expanded consciousness, but the things that allows him to have space and to react in a different way, those also have prior causes, you know? So mm -hmm. what, how did he learn that this response was automatic and came from trauma. You know, did he read it in a book? Did he, you know, go he chose to go to school. He chose to go to school. <laughs> he chose to become a, a neuroscientist or whatever he is, neurologist. He, he, he went to the school. He, 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 uh, yeah, he, he made a series of choices um, along the way that gave him this kind of information. Yeah. And, and if we go, if we drill into any one of those choices, eventually we're going to get back to, well, why did he do that? Well, he wanted to, he had a thought that he should, he had a desire, he had an intention. And ultimately mm -hmm. those intentions were not consciously generated and came from prior causes, you know, so then you, you spin it back and into this moment. Okay. Now, now he doesn't, so now he has the same trauma trigger where his wife is screaming. And in that catalog of causes, now we have the trauma with his, his mom. And we also have the new information about, you know, how that's an automatic process and, you know, some awareness of why that happens. We have some training as far as breath work, we have some maybe therapy or, you know, other things, all of those things are now variables and all those things are now prior causes to that yeah. new moment. And those are what yeah, allow I, them to I don't, I don't have, I don't have a problem with any of that, Michael. Yeah. I, I guess I, I just get, conf I get confused as to then what it is that we're even talking about. You know, it, it is he responsible? He's not responsible for, um, the feeling that arises when he hears the scream. Right. Is he responsible for what he does once he becomes consciously aware of that? It, I think it's almost exactly the same in the sense that his response from the scream. Can is, you give me just like a yes or a no? Is, is, is he responsible? No, no, I don't think he is. He, he's not responsible. No, not in, not in the sense that we're discussing as far as being an autonomous, you know, independent agent where he is choosing you know, to react differently, all of yeah. it, the, the reaction, the new reaction of not freaking out at his wife is just a, a, you know, a result of all the causes, which also includes some of the other things besides the trauma. So all of the words that you wrote to me in that email, are you responsible for having written them and sent them to me? So it, you know, there's, 
it just mean, depends on what you mean by responsible, right? I mean, so there are some practical implications for society where we hold people responsible, you know, for hurting other people. So in that sense, I am responsible for my actions where I have to have the consequences of, of what I do. What I'm trying to do is figure like, because what one of the big questions that I have is why is this so important to you? And I think I heard a little bit of that when you said, I used to believe that I was the captain of the ship when I was Mormon, but yeah. now I realize that all of Mormonism is bullshit. And so this is going down with the ship. <laughs> um, I can't allow myself to believe that anymore because then I might get sucked into like foolishness or something like that again. That, that's my guess as to where it's the motivation. So that, that's one question. I'll let you respond to that in a second. But the second one is, how is what you're saying anything other than predeterminism that we just don't have any choice at all. We are just like a leaf that falls off of a tree and we're subject to the whims of everything that's going on around us. And we don't have, we, we, we aren't responsible for where we land or how we move or what we do, because that is so contrary to the way that every single person lives life and experiences life. And that seems like it's, that, that seems like a frightening path to go down to say i'm not responsible for my actions and i'm like i'm not responsible for my choices well i mean does it have to be frightening i mean does it have to be negative the idea that we can have a little more empathy for people and understand that we're not you know completely responsible for things that we do but that we're i mean we already do this to an extent right i mean and, and sam harris brings up some of these examples of you know if, if you have a guy who murders someone and he's completely healthy versus a guy who murders someone and has a tumor on his brain on their brain, you know, you yeah. know, so, or if we find out that someone robbed a store for the fun of it versus they robbed a store because their kids are hungry and are going to, you know, die. Yeah. I mean, so like we already do this calculus of, Oh, we, we, we start to take in the, the, the background and the context and the prior causes when we decide how responsible someone is. And it's just mm -hmm. extending that idea that like really everything flows from prior causes. Really everything is part of this causal chain of, you know, cause and effect. Um, and so we can cut each other some slack. You know, we can be a little- I love that. I, I, I love cutting people some slack and giving the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I think that the way that Sam Harris, I don't know if it's the way that Sam Harris is presenting it or just the confusion that I have around that, you know, like I, I really liked the metaphor of the, the leaf falling from the tree versus steering the ship. I mean, I think that really um, epitomizes the, the crux of the issue for me yeah. that, that, that one seems like it's very black and white, like all or nothing, like it's all predetermined forces or, or none where, it could be 95%, it could be 99% predetermined. It could be 99.9%, .9%, but there's still that little small sliver in the moment where I can go, I'm at a fork in the road. I'm either gonna go right or I'm gonna go left. And I've got everything in my body is screaming at me, go right, go right, those predetermined causes. And I go, fuck that, I'm going left. Yeah. I'm gonna do something different this time. And maybe that's from a predetermined cause too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it is, but it's still like, I, I, I my experience of living and especially as i've gotten more into meditation mindfulness paying attention to these thoughts that just arise that i do have a choice on what i can what i can do with them and whether whether that's just an illusion 
or, or, or not the, the responsibility to act, um, to make the best choice that I can with the information that I have in front of me is solely mine. So how does that work? So do you think that the, the cause and effect of the universe stops there when it comes to, you know, that? No, I think it keeps going. So how, how is your choice become independent from everything that came before? I didn't say anything about independence. It arises from it. Well, I mean, so, so, so go back, go back to the, my microwave cleaning out the microwave example, you know, like I, I, I have this thought that comes into my head. That's a really snarky comeback. And I've got a choice of whether I am going to say that out loud or not. Um, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you have, you have the snarky thought and then also you have all these other variables that then react. I mean, so if we, if we wanted to take the leaf example and just complicate it to, to try to reflect this. So instead of just the wind, maybe there's also rain or maybe there is another tree, you know, so, so let's say, the normal thing is that there's no rain, there's no wind, there's no other impediment between the leaf and the ground. And so that would be the snarky thought then comes up and you say it, but now we have the leaf falls and the wind blows. So that's you know one experience or disposition that you have, which then is in conflict or, or you know in concert with the, the wind and, and the rain. And then it lands on another tree Either way, there are these things that keep it from hitting the ground. Something else happens. They're all just part of the same causal mix that that leads to the last thing. It's not like there's no will in there. There's no choice. Okay. (laughs) Sure feels like it. Sure seems like I have that. Well, I mean. Do do you have solid evidence for this? That there's no... Or are, are we just going by like what Sam Harris says? Um, what would the evidence look like? I mean, you, you mentioned some of it, you know, they've, they've done different studies on this. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you would, I don't know how this would be proven. I mean, I think, you know, just from an argument standpoint, you, you take that everything that we know about the universe is causal, that there is cause and effect our minds, our brains, our bodies are, are made of biological matter. So they're subject to the laws of the universe. Yeah. So I don't, I guess I have a harder time seeing how do we, how do we make an exception for that when it comes to our decisions? How do we say these decisions, you know, sure, we're, we're kind of subject to everything that comes before, but then there's a point where I can take a step back and I can choose something else and, and it's not influenced by what came before. It's independent. It's free. Yeah. So, so if you're saying free being independent from any prior causes, that's impossible. Well, I it's, mean, it's impossible for anybody to be, be free and independent from prior causes. But what if the prior causes sets up a circumstance that gives somebody a choice between three things and it sets the table or for 10 things. Sure. Well, and then whatever. in that moment, and, that, and, and then in that moment, those prior causes, whatever's going on in the universe, all of it at every single level is giving you in each moment the ability 
to make a choice between certain things that are out there. Cause that's, that's the experience of life. Yeah. I mean, I still think, you know, okay. So we know that we have options. We know that there are, you know, there's a fork in the road and we go left or we go right, but why? Yeah. Oh, I wanted to go left. Why did I want that? I don't know. You know, that, that came from. But whether, whether you know or not is irrelevant to the fact that you made a choice in that time. Well, I mean, so in this case, right or left, I'm saying that it came from some prior causes, which then created that intention or that desire to go left. And you're saying, no, there were prior causes maybe that brought me to the fork in the road, but I could make an autonomous choice to go left. And that is a reflection of my, my steering the ship. Yeah. Or, or to stop the car, get out and commit suicide or to stop the car, turn around and drive the other way or to go off the road altogether and go in some completely different direction. Or, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could do when you come to the fork in the road and all of them are going to be touched by prior causes. But I, I still, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of this sense and in, in, of <laughs> this experience of being able to choose in the moment. So, so you, you have the experience that your choice is fully your own. You, you don't feel like it comes from something that came before. Don't say the word fully. You feel like it's your own. You feel like it's 99% determined, but 1% is you. Something like that. Oh, and, and like the culmination of everything, a hundred percent is natural causes and a priori causes. But it's still in that moment, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, and I, so I, I feel like there's a conflict between those two ideas, you know, because on the one hand, you're, you're acknowledging that things come 100% from prior causes, but then yeah. still maintaining the idea that there is a space for a free choice that maybe deviates from those prior causes. I don't think it, I don't think it, it could deviate from the prior cause. Then, then where is the freedom? The prior, but the, the, the prior causes, you know, like if you're thinking about a line of dominoes, mm -hmm. when it, it's very linear and when one hits one, the one in front of it, it's only going to go in a certain direction. Sure. That's not the, what we're talking about. Like, like, yes, there's prior causes, but it doesn't mean that once we get to this moment, it can only go forward in one particular thing. There, there, there's some kind of, um, force that I have to say, is this going to veer off to that? That's why I like the, the steering the ship yeah. metaphor. It can, it can go to the right. It can go to the left. It's still, there's this momentum, this inertia, it's moving in this direction from the prior causes. But I, I, the prior causes are, have also created a central nervous system with this little portion of a central nervous system that is this egoic conscious awareness that does make choices on what kind of food I'm going to eat, where I'm going to live, what kind of job I'm going to have, what kind of people I'm going to hang around with, what kind of music I'm going to listen to, you know, like the, these types of things that absolutely are influenced by prior causes, but not, not solely. I don't know. I feel like at this point, 
like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah, no, I, I well, so let me, let me ask this. I mean, and, and you, you tell me if we need to wrap up, I know we're, we're past. Yeah. The time. Yeah. We pr- yeah, um, yeah. But so when you were a member of the church, did you believe that God knew the f- future perfectly, that he knew what everyone was going to do before they did it? Probably. I mean, so how, I mean, so, so I, I did too, right? I mean, so I, I, and so in a funny way, I think Mormons really are determinists in this sense. And, and we try to find a way to, to kind of explain around it. But this idea that the only way that God, God knows the future because he knows us so well, and he knows all of the causes and the factors and the variables in the universe so well and so perfectly that he knows how all those things are going to crash together. And so he can, he can say with a certainty what the future will be, but that implies determinism that implies cause and effect that implies that, that everything is going to flow from what came before it. Yeah. And I, I do remember bringing up that paradox many times as a Mormon yeah. in conjunction with things like the lost 116 pages of the book of Mormon or um, you know, like, if God knew that this was going to happen, then why did or, or, why did it play out that way? Or why did he create contingencies where yeah. somebody could choose to do this? Because there were also those scriptures um, in the DNC that said to Joseph Smith, if, if you fail, God has prepared somebody <laughs> else to take your place, you know? Yeah. So there, there's all these contingencies that are laid out. So there, there is this paradox of God knows everything, but, but I, I, Again, like what I credit it to now, <laughs> uh, just just having gone into, um, and boy, this is a terrible place to end up. We really do have to, to, to wrap this up, or I'm going to get in trouble. Um, that um, with with the quantum energy, that where where it's a probability, like things. Things don't necessarily, particles don't necessarily exist only in one space and time, but in like a, a particle or a probability cloud, which is the nature of the fundamental building block energy of the universe. So is it possible that it's in some realm of reality that we just have absolutely no conscious awareness of? There are multiple versions of reality happening all at once and any kind of choice that we've ever made or could ever made does exist somewhere somehow in some time within that quantum realm of probability where every single you know, like i it's it's a crazy thought and um but I, yeah, i'm actually reading a book how of, helpful it is i'm reading a book about that right now I the parallel universe yeah. stuff i mean it's it's yeah. really interesting i mean and i yeah. think you know at the end of the day you know who, who knows yeah i mean so right now today I, I find myself to be convinced by the Sam Harris arguments, but I don't, I don't know if it's right. I don't, I don't know, you know, if, if there's maybe something else that we could learn. I don't, I don't even know how valuable it is. I mean, I, I like what you said about giving people the benefit of the doubt and going, okay, it wasn't totally their fault. There were, there were things that were going on beyond their control. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't apply to every argument. Sure. The guy that has the tumor on the brain, but with every single person we're, doing that with I, i'm just not totally comfortable and and especially well you know you know like be, be being a life coach i i have i have worked with clients over the last year and a half and watched some really 
magnificent transformations. <laughs> and I know that sounds very much like what I said on a mission when like somebody joins the church and their life just, to, and, and there's kind of an ick factor to that. But I, I've seen it and I've seen it because they, they wanted to, they made changes, they, they did mindfulness stuff and they really exercise and I think grow this ability to change the narrative, to change the story, change the ways that you're viewing things. Um, yeah, I mean, some, I've seen some really amazing yeah. shifts in, in people. And maybe that's just the leaf falling from the tree and I'm a raindrop that is, you know, you are the wind, Glenn, the you are the, the wind, wind carrying <laughs> us along. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, to end on a positive note, right. I mean, I think there are some positive implications about this, right. I mean, cause so much of, so much of religion, you know, this idea of, you know, you're responsible for everything. So there's guilt, there's shame, there's, you know, punishment, in society, you know, like we lock people up and, and we, we really do all these things, you know, as a, as a consequence. I mean, if, if we did have more of this Buddhist, you know, acceptance of, you know, reality is as it is, we could be more pragmatic, you know, and that's one of the things that Sam Harris argues for is that, okay, like we have to deter behavior and we have to, to keep people safe. And if we can see that they're a danger to other people, we got to stop that somehow, but we don't need to punish people. We don't need to, you know, go on this, you know, revenge kind yeah. of thing. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I, and I feel like that applies if you can, I think it is about benefit of the doubt. You know, it's like, if you understood perfectly what was going on behind someone, you're much more likely to, to give them a break. Yeah. So, so this is, this is a way that has helped you embrace the discomfort of uncertain of uncertainty. I don't know. I mean, I'm still uncomfortable with this idea of, of not yeah. having free will. And I, I'm still figuring out what, what I'm, what I believe about it. And that's part of why, yeah. I, you know, really enjoyed the podcast and, and why I took the time yeah. to kind of write out my thoughts, you know, cause since leaving the church, making that decision, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I believe and, and what yeah. feels right. And you know, so I guess this is all part of the journey to, to kind of work through it and, and see what's going on. You and me both, brother. Well, thank you for, for coming on, Michael. I'm glad that the wind blew you in my direction. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, Appreciate it, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. Look, look forward to talking with you again if you ever want to. Sounds good. All right. Take care. See you, Michael. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob 
I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Free fall, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets light, destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.